Hello, 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 hello. We're recording in the cavern, cavern, cavern of secrets. Okay, you know what? I never claimed to be a voice actor. Just trying some cool new shit here on the podcast. What's up, everyone? It's Cavern of Secrets, the podcast you're listening to, and it's me, your host, Lauren Mitchell. A couple things off the top. First off, just want to maybe let you know that when we recorded this episode, I was a bit sick earlier this week, so you can hear that kind of in my voice, but do not fear. I am well again. Uh, I've made it through the weird plague that I had, and I'm back better than ever. Second, I did want to off the top show some solidarity and some support to all the indigenous people protesting right now at Standing Rock in North Dakota against the pipeline. It's so, so important fighting a legacy of colonialism and violence. I can't even imagine. We're going to put a link to their legal defense fund in the show notes. Uh, If you can, uh, please consider donating. Cool. Oh, man, you guys, what a week it has been. So, I don't know, you guys are all on the internet? (laughs) You must be on the internet. You're on the internet right now. That's literally the only way you can listen to this podcast. Um, So, if you don't know, but you probably know, this week Twitter announced that they were shutting down Vine. Vine is a platform that they started sort of as an add-on to Twitter, I think three years ago, almost. You can make little six-second videos and uh, upload them to the platform, and when you open them, they just run on repeat. Kind of like a six-second GIF with sound for anyone who's never watched a Vine. If you've never watched a Vine, go to my Twitter timeline. I am at Internet Lauren, and watch all the Vines that I like posted and retweeted this week because literally Vine is such a crazy place. It's like... Every Vine star, every like funny person on Vine is funnier than every comedian I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to all my comedian friends. Sorry to me. But like, that's it. That's some of the best comedy I've ever seen in my whole life. And Vine uh, is a platform used largely by teenagers and largely by black teenagers. You, for sure, if you have not, need to read a piece that uh, Doreen St. Felix wrote for The Fader about the way that young black kids are not compensated for their viral content in the same way that white kids are. It's truly an amazing piece. Just really some brilliant work. I mean, read everything that Doreen has ever written, for the love of God. Um, She talks about this with infinitely more wisdom and uh, insight than I ever could, but it's amazing. Of course, a little devastated about the end of Vine. Kyrell, one of our favorite and returning guests, has long wanted to have a Vine film festival. And it seems like now uh, we might not get that dream. So you guys know I'm 30. Like, I've was sort of coming of age in the early 2000s during a time when the internet was sort of just beginning to become a place where people did more than email each other, do whatever people were doing on the internet in the mid to late 90s. I used Napster. I used MSN. Facebook didn't exist while I was in university. um, All of that stuff. So 
I was thinking about the way that technology changes and moves so much faster now. I was recently thinking about MSN and like how I would love to go back and read conversations I had on MSN. Like, I don't know what happened to all those conversations when MSN stopped existing. So on my phone right now, I just have like so many recordings of like me doing stand up or like jokes that I started writing or grocery lists or things I wanted to remember. And it's like, I have all of that stuff on my previous phone as well. But like, could I tell you where my previous phone is? No. It's like somewhere in my apartment. I don't know if any of you know where it is. Like, please let me know. To sort of bring this all together, how do we archive our lives online? How do we archive the creative stuff that we've done and put it online? What does the end of Vine mean for young people, young black people who've gotten their start, who've gained sort of like internet notoriety on Vine? What does it mean when Vine shuts down and maybe they don't have a chance to collect all of their, let's face it, intellectual property before Twitter just decides when it's taking Vine off the internet. What happens when things we thought were going to be online forever because we posted them online get taken down on the whim of a huge corporation? Where did we sort of miss a step in considering and talking about archiving things that we've put online? I'm not totally sure I have an answer. I, not, not only am I not totally sure I have an answer, I don't have an answer. On top of that, the nature of corporations is that they don't really give a fuck. Like, at the end of the day, Twitter could shut down tomorrow, and I'd be like, yo, where are my fucking tweets at? And they'd just be like, eh. Like, I can't call MSN and be like, yo, MSN, like, can you just dig up some combos I had with, like, some people, you know, in 2002? So I don't know. But what I do know is that I'm real fucking bummed about Vine being shut down. I think it was a cool platform. My sister and I were watching Vines last night. Like, we were openly weeping with laughter. And, like, shit, if you can write a six-second joke... Your career in comedy, I don't even know. I can't do it. <laughs> so, shit, should I give up? I don't know. Never give up on your dreams. Anyways, watch some vines. Get it in you before the man takes it down. The man's always going to strip us of our art. Okay, this got weird at the end. Um, this episode features a friend of mine who I've known uh, for almost my whole time in Toronto for uh, five years. Uh, we met when we were interning together at a literary agent. Uh, and now she is doing huge things in the world of publishing. Her name is Leonica Valsius. She is the founder of the Diverse Canlet hashtag. She is on the board of directors of The Fold, which is Brampton's first literary festival, a literary festival focusing on diversity in literature. She does such great and important work, and we have what I think is a very interesting conversation around publishing, the nature of what it means to publish diverse books, to publish diverse authors. You know, we talk about stuff that isn't publishing, too. I think you'll like it. Okay, please enjoy this episode.
This is my friend, Leanne Cavalcius. She's here today because I like her, and also she's interesting as hell. She works for Penguin Random House, but <laughs> this is not a conspiracy. Um, you're the founder of the Diverse Canlet hashtag and subsequent, like, Twitter account and purveyor of information. You are on the board of directors for The Fold, which is Brampton's first and only literary festival. Is it the only Brampton literary festival? I think so. You make me sound so awesome. I should well, have you do all my intros. Honestly, it's not that hard. <laughs> um, and you and I met when we were interning for a literary agent. Mm -hmm. um, and then you stayed in publishing and I got the hell out. <laughs> you know... Yeah, that is what happened. That yeah. is indeed what happened. I remember <laughs> we hadn't seen each other for a long time. And then I emailed you and I was like, so you got out. How is life on the outside? Because <laughs> it's slowly and dark here. It's getting cold. I don't see the light. Help me. But it was good. I stayed anyway. Yeah, well, you had done, I mean... You were working at you worked at Scholastic for a long time. Like yeah. we're not going to shade Scholastic on this podcast, so no, don't worry no, about I love it. Scholastic. I know they were good, but it's mm -hmm. like one of those things where like when you're with a company for long enough, and you're just like, is this it? <laughs> like, well, is this all gonna it's ever going to be? Well, we're going to be real on this podcast, mm -hmm. right? Let's be real. Like when I had that moment of can I can I keep doing this? Mm -hmm. It was mostly about money. Yeah, <laughs> it was oh, you know, in five years I want like a house and I want to be able to like go and travel internationally at least once a year and I like if I have a child I want to be able to put that child in private school and my friend goes is that possible at a publishing salary and I was so hurt <laughs> and then I was like but I think she's right yeah that and is. so I had like this crisis of like I have things I want to do mm -hmm. But I also really love books, and it's a problem. And then my brother, he got a job, like, after being – my brother doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> after being, like, my mother's, like, worry. It was like, I don't know what's going on with your brother. Like, what is he going to do with his life? He got a job, and he's making very close to what I'm making. And he's been working, like – maybe six months seriously and i'm like it's not fair uh, i work really hard and you kind of show up <laughs> well that's like i think it's kind of similar in america but like in mm -hmm. canada it's like arts jobs that people like really want are starting salaries of not very far above the like baseline that you can pay someone you oh know yeah what I mean? like there was one point where when I was very young and stupid, I thought I was going to move to New York. Oh, um, it's never too late. <laughs> um, like at first I was like, oh, yeah, it's, that's where everything is. I'm going to move to New York and live my glamorous lifestyle and also be in publishing and stuff like that. And then like now that I'm older and I a lot of my online community of publishing people are based in New York. They all have roommates, like yeah. not like two or three roommates in a big house. that they're mm -hmm. renting. No, it's like. Eight roommates, you know, yeah. like closet. It's not okay. No. It's not okay. I'm like, I can't. I don't like people that much. I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, and Toronto is not like, let us not get it twisted. It's not like we live in the che a cheap ass city to rent in. Uh, no, no, but we are not. But it's like, you can find stuff. Cause like it's even parts of like all of Brooklyn now is so expensive. You're not even talking Everywhere about being like close. Like you can live, 
You're like, you live by yourself. I live by myself. Um, I live in a, like a, a studio apartment, mm-hmm. but that's okay because I don't believe in companies. So nobody's coming to live <laughs> my house, right? Like I don't even have a dining room table. <laughs> I have a coffee table and a couch that I rarely sit on. Like I eat in my bed because that's very comfortable. That's what I always did anyway. Yeah. I watch TV in bed. Like it's wonderful, right? I have a kitchen table, but we use it to put stuff on. <laughs> It's the stuff holder. Right. So really what I'm paying for is the location I live in. Yeah. So like you lived, I mean, when we were interning, you were living at home, which Mm -hmm. is like lovely because, I mean, if my dad lived anywhere close to Toronto, I would have been at home. Um, But it's like, it's one of those things where like I always found interning such a trip because I was like, I'm running myself into the ground for like. I there was intern- lots of crying. Yeah. Lots so, of crying. <laughs> like falling asleep in random places. <laughs> it was um the one internship that we both did was three days a week for me. And that was really good because Same. it saved me on the bus fare. Yeah. <laughs> because like getting downtown was is expensive. Mm-hmm. The the only the Go bus, which is the commuter transportation system here in Toronto, is the only way you can get to and from the suburbs to Toronto if yeah. you're commuting and they hike up their fares whatever they want. They're like, what are you else are going to do? Yeah. Right. This it's is like, it. <laughs> it's like $12 to get to Toronto. So it was, it's expensive when you're not being paid. And then after that, I had another internship, but that was an honorarium that I would be paid when I finished. Those so brutal. Too. It was so rough. So I was getting like, I was, my mom would was lovely and would pack my lunch and would be like, do you need anything? I was like, oh, no, I'm okay. And I would be like, wait, big, when I had like $2. Like, you always think it's an exaggeration. People say, oh, well, I have like $2. No, no, no. You're like, like no. actual $2. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? This risk, this gamble that I made about doing something I love, this was stupid. Bad idea, bad idea, abort mission. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels like that, though. Like, I had an internship um, at a publishing company that I leave unnamed mm-hmm. where they paid me $400 a month and expected me to work 40 hours a week. And they paid me, like, at the end of every month. <laughs> and I was, like, paying rent in Toronto, like, working weekends because I didn't I was like well, okay I need to have a source of income that isn't this $40 that like doesn't even cover my and rent. And that's the thing, right? Like as much as I complained, I was lucky. Like I quit my the job, like the part-time job I had mm-hmm. before I started publishing school because it was full-time and I was like I need to really commit to this and mm-hmm. actually finish it. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't live at home, right? Like yeah. I was lucky enough that my mom would still buy me clothes and she would still feed me and like she would cover me if I needed to and I never paid rent while I was at home and not everybody has that. So I'm super, super lucky. Like I would not have been able to do this if I had to pay rent. It was just not possible. I did two internships and then I got um, a job and I was interviewing for like a third internship and I think it was so obvious that I did not like. I was just like going to interviews, being like, "Jesus Christ, would someone please pay oh, yeah. me?" <laughs> yeah. They could sense the intern people who were hiring were like, "We cannot hire you as an intern because you are clearly very sad." <laughs> I was quite pleased. I got hired. Um, Scholastic hired me like midway through my second internship, and yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. Like I accepted that thing and quickly walked to my supervisor. I was like. 
I got a job. Tomorrow's my last day. <laughs> I'm not coming back. <clears throat> They're like, uh, I'll be okay. <laughs> Bye, I guess. <laughs> the, I mean, at least the kind of nice thing about publishing is that, like, like the people that hire interns kind of understand that, like, you're in a very competitive market for work. So, that, mm-hmm. like, if you get a job, oh, like, yeah. you're dipping. You oh, yeah. That's I mean? one of the things I tell um, – I try to go back to Centennial whenever I can and talk to the to the little ones. Aww. And I was like, guys, your priority is to get a job. Like, as much value as I got out of going to the publishing courses, everything that I use on a day-to-day basis in my workplace, I learned at that workplace. Yeah. If they're going to pay you, <laughs> take that job. Yeah. Please. And it's hard because it's like you sometimes feel like you're ungrateful, whatever, you're burning bridges. No, people, they get it. They also want you to be employed and happy and not miserable. Yeah. But people just have to be willing to kind of hustle a little bit. Yeah. I know... You were working on the literary festival in Brampton, mm-hmm. um, the Fold, which the is Fold, a great yes. name for a literary festival. Yeah, um, <laughs> of course, like that, this frame of reference that you're speaking of, like that you're coming from, like how did you sort of build that into the Fold and mm-hmm. sort of work on accessing and bringing it to people who maybe normally wouldn't know about it yeah. or who normally it would sort of like miss them in terms of like advertising or like any of that kind of stuff. Right, right. So the biggest thing, um, so The Fold was founded by J.L. Richardson. She is a writer based in Brampton. She contacted me on Twitter and was all like, hey, I have this idea. I'd love to meet you for coffee, et cetera, et cetera. So we met up. She talked about this idea. And I was like, yes, this is fantastic. I'm on board. I would have loved to put on a literary festival. I had actually, because I'm type A, had plans drawn up a year before But then I was like, I don't know how to contact people and rent spaces. So I kind of dropped it. Mm -hmm. But she has this great, very meticulous and like event planning thought process. So she is really able to drive that engine. Um, But the big question is, what do we mean when we say diverse? Mm -hmm. And how do we make this as inclusive as possible? We spend a lot of time when we're programming and when we're thinking about our marketing and advertising outreach and saying, how do we make sure that our speakers reflect our mission and how do we make sure that the audience reflects our mission, right? So the first thing was, we're hosting it in Brampton, it's going to stay in Brampton Mm -hmm. because Brampton is a really diverse, multicultural, really booming kind of suburban city. It's really growing at this rapid pace. Then it was thinking carefully and programming with intention. Like Mm -hmm. we don't do things by accident. When we decide, hey, here's a list of authors, we do go, is that person white? Like, isn't that, she just white or is she something (laughs) else? And it sounds terrible, but if my mission is saying I'm going to take people who are usually at the margins mm-hmm. and who are usually left out of the of the mainstream and put them at the center, then I need to make sure I'm doing that. Yes, we want to make sure we have a big name person that's recognizable so people can flip through and say, oh, I know who that is. I want to come. Mm-hmm. But it's also a space that there are many authors who wouldn't get invites 
to other literary festivals, exactly. which is a shame, and they're doing excellent work, and we want them at our festival. JL's so great, and she'll be like, okay, so here's the list. I want us to be aware that we're we're a bit light on black women right now, so keep an eye out. Um, like, we think about these things. It's very intentional, and it's not like we want to make sure we're not making people tokens. Mm -hmm. How we do that is we make sure that the topics and the panel discussions are not about their identities. So I we try not to put a black woman on there and say, so, black woman, what's it like? Like, don't you, like, suffer? And, wow, rough, <laughs> black woman writing. So tell us about that. We, it's not that. Yeah. Rather, we, we try to make them be themselves and then talk about their books. As for the audiences, I think we're just trying to tap into the networks that we frequent. So some of that is a really bookish, but then trying to tap into community centers, right? Yeah. Like have your people come out to this because there's so many people who are like, oh yeah, my son is writing a book. And sometimes the publishing industry can be like, oh my goodness, everybody's writing a book. Yeah. That's, please keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear about your book. But you know what? Tell your son who's writing a book to come on out yeah. because maybe maybe they'll write something and it'll be brilliant or maybe they'll just be inspired to read something else and read more. And that love, that inkling, somebody who says, I'm writing a book, I think it'll be great. Don't kill that. Nurture it. And if yeah. it becomes great, it becomes great. And if it doesn't, that's fine. Like I used to think I wanted to write and then I realized I can't. So now I read a lot and that's okay. As you know, like one of the reasons we started doing this podcast is because I find it so annoying when like people talk to women about their work and are just like, what's it like to be a woman doing this thing as a mm -hmm. woman, as a woman? Like that must be the only like contextualizing yeah. frame that you have or whatever. And so I'm interested in this idea where like I just find so often like when we talk about diversity, people put identity politics at the forefront and are like, yes, like you as a black woman must feel this way. You must feel traumatized by this. Yeah. You must feel like I have a friend who is a black Muslim and she is a writer and she gets asked so often to write about being a Muslim woman. She's like, man, I just want to write about celebrity gossip. Right. And I love that. So like... So when I first started thinking about diversity, um, I spent a lot of time focusing on characters. I was like, I'm going to read, like I, my definition of diversity was books about, right? Mm. So it was books about people of color, books about queer people, books about this, whatever, right? And then I quickly hit this wall where I was like, well, people outside of that experience, like white people can write about and love to write mm. about others, right? Um, what I'm trying to get at is when there are books about people of color, and I use people of color because that's what's closest to my experience, but I also mean queer people, people with disabilities, um, people with different gender expressions, all of the different identities that are usually marginalized. But what would make me happy is if we supported the creators with those identities mm -hmm. and let them write it whatever they want, yeah. right? Because I was starting to find patterns. So especially in Kidlet, you would see that 
there are certain authors who love to write about African children and their plight. Um, <laughs> in Quebec, because I used to work in French publishing, yeah. I would be like, I need books, I need multicultural children's books. And there would be plenty of books about adopted Chinese girls. It's very niche. Although the the there's like three generations of Haitian people in Montreal now, there would only be books about, you know, Haitian children escaping the aftermath of the earthquake. I was like, how about all the Haitian children whose like grandparents were born in Quebec, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this, there are these patterns of what the story is. There's lots of immigrant stories. My family's immigrants. I have nothing against immigrant stories, but there's a lot of, you know, my life was terrible until my family came to Canada. Can't let baby. Yep. <laughs> and then there's a lot of, of, oh, I thought my life in Canada was terrible, but then I visited that horrible place my family's from, and now I'm grateful. Um, so there's that. There was a lot of South Asian stories about, oh, um, backwards India is so terrible because they hate girls. It was just very reductive. Mm -hmm. So I stopped. I was like, this is not the way I want to read anymore. What is more productive and what is more illuminating is what if I just went by the author and let them write whatever they wanted mm -hmm. to write? Like if it's an author who's writing fluffy romance, that's fantastic. Yeah. You tell me about the fluffy romance. Write whatever you want. And... Just the byproduct is that it's often a beautifully rich story that has all these elements that I wouldn't have known to look for, mm -hmm. right? By supporting the author, by putting money in the author's pocket, mm -hmm. I'm doing way more to foster and create that industry where that's diverse and equitable and inclusive. Because yeah. rather than focusing on characters that are fictional, I can actually focus my attention on supporting the real people. Not that there aren't writers who do make identity the crux of their work, and that's important work to do, but everybody else who wants to write whatever mm -hmm. is great. Like, I love Kevin Kwan's books. Have you read um, Crazy Rich Asians? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that book, um, I listened to it on audio, because I was driving a lot and I couldn't, I couldn't read, so I had to listen to something. And safety first. I know it's a pro This is why I'm glad I don't drive anymore. But what I love about that book, it opens, and so this family get to London, and it's like cold or rainy or whatever. I think it's like either Christmas time or some holiday, whatever. They show up in London, and it's like two sisters and their brood of children, and their kids are being brats and all this stuff. And they show up to the hotel, and the the guy at the desk like looks them up and down, and is all like you don't have a reservation. I can't find it. You need to find someplace else. And he kicks them out. So the woman, she goes, she goes to a payphone and calls her husband and says, you won't believe what just happened. They kicked us out. You can need to make a reservation, another reservation somewhere else. And he's like, oh, wait, hold on. I'll, like, I'll call you in five minutes. And they're walking back into the hotel. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he knows the person who owns the hotel. So he's going to make them give them a nice suite, right? And I'm like all excited. They bought the hotel. <laughs> 
that goals. That's like the definition of petty. Like you kicked me out of your. Yeah, it's like you kicked me out of your hotel because you're racist. Mm Well, I'm just gonna buy. Just gonna buy the hotel, hotel and, and fire. Fired. Yeah, yeah. It's like we don't need you anymore. I was, like I died. I was like, this is what I want my life to be. It's amazing. But my point, I had a point, was that they're from Singapore. They're all Asian people. It's all fantastic. That's not the point of the book, though. It's mm-hmm. like this fun, juicy, like super over the top. It's like fairy tales but dripped in diamonds right Mm -hmm. it was so fantastic and at no point did i have to feel like because they weren't suffering it was less authentic and less valuable and less like oh sorry you didn't talk about how terrible your life is Mm -hmm. so this must not be truly authentically diverse, right? Yeah, you can never win the booker or whatever because yes. there's no suffering here. Yeah, so I think what I try to do is support the authors I like, support authors who are from any marginalized community. I focus specifically on people of color and follow that, right? I would love if that was the approach more places took because like I think about awards a lot and awards, especially in Canada, comes with big checks. Big checks and big right? print runs. Right? Like, you know how for the Oscars and the Grammys, like when, when people are like, it doesn't matter anyway. Who cares what the Oscars think? You don't need the mainstream to validate you. It's like, um, except if the mainstream is going to cut me a check for $50,000, yeah. I will take that validation, right? Because that's more time you can spend writing books rather than having to work three-day jobs because you're broke. Exactly. You know? I started off in this industry wanting to be like the writer's champion. What can I do to help writers make their dreams come true? And quickly discovered that the biggest obstacle to writers of color and other writers from marginalized communities is implicit and institutional bias. Yeah. So if we can start dismantling some of that, that will give them more time to write rather than say, how do I craft my query letter so it's not obvious that I'm a queer man or that I am a South Asian woman, how do I make sure they don't, you know, reject me off of that Mm -hmm. alone? And I mean, it's a pretty liberal, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, industry, right? And it's a pretty progressive industry. And nobody will say, nobody will say, or even I think believe that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. But it's all the systems, right? It's all that... Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, progressive and liberal until it's not. Yeah. Until, like, you get called out for something and you're like, wait, 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 wait. Like, well, we didn't mean it that way or, like, this – it's, like, no, you have to cop to the systemic inherent bias in the fucking system, especially in Canada when we have provincial and federal government doing a lot of the funding for the work that gets produced. So if they're not going to make it a point to give money to people who have been marginalized to create whatever work they want to create, not just some sort of like weird like torture, like sadness porn or whatever, it's like that needs to be addressed. Do you know what I mean? I'd like to address the lack of commercial 
chiclet beach reads in Canadian literature. Why is that? Why don't we think that fun books are literary? (laughs) That is like when I was doing Dragnet, which is like the lit mag that I used to uh, run with some friends. um, That was like we literally the point of anything we published was that it was like literature that like doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah. Because we were so all of us collectively were like, we're all bored of this like. I like to laugh. Yeah. I mean, listen, we've all read Fall on Your Knees. Very moving book. But holy fuck. I got to the end. You read that book, right? Have not. Oh, my God. Amory <laughs> McDonald, amazing writer. Mm-hmm. But, like, I got to the end of that book and was like, if something good doesn't happen, like, <laughs> I just don't know. I didn't know how I was going to come out of it in yeah. any, like, good way. And that book is, like, the epitome of, like, Canlit being about, like, yeah. tortured, like, rural... Like, old-timey white people, there's, like, incest involved. Let me tell you, so did you, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's fine. Okay, sorry. I'm (laughs) a terrible person. Um, There was a brief moment on all of our Twitters where there was that can-lit generator thing. Did you ever see that go around? Yes, I did. I hated that so much. It made me so angry because people would be like, ha, 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 look, it spits out things like Drake in the prairies with the moose. And I'm like, but... But that's awful. You yeah. see, like, <laughs> like, but you guys don't see the, like, oh, middle-aged man comes to terms with his sexuality <coughs> while canoeing. And they're all like, ha, oh, it's so funny. It's so true. I was like, but don't you see the problem? Yeah, doesn't that that's make a you problem? sad? <laughs> yeah, man, I would love some, like, Canadian, like, Beach read like fun, sexy intrigue. Yeah, like, yeah we just don't do it, I guys. Just, like, I want really tawdry, salacious things. Yeah. <laughs> like very, like very disposable. I want disposable literature. Yeah. You know, like the kind of books you take on vacation, you finish it, and like, oh, do I really want to stuff this back in my like? my bag no i've shopped so i'm just gonna leave this book at the hotel yeah you're like someone else will read it yeah right like we don't really seem to produce that much of that stuff and you know of course that comes down from the people who are acquiring the books those people are worried about getting funding it's like canada doesn't want us to produce non-art stuff you don't want us to be happy yeah maybe justin trudeau wants us to be happy i don't know maybe if we put his face on it if we make it like yeah, a, if we make a good... justin in the prairies <laughs> yeah. discovering his sexuality Yo, where's harlequin at like you and i should Listen. write some like justin trudeau sexy ass um, novel it's probably been done <laughs> we're probably behind the curve damn it you're so right uh, someone for sure has written like there's like fanfic for sure online do you remember when it was that, are like, you kidding me i will bet you five u.s dollars right now <laughs> that there is justin trudeau and barack obama fan that's what i was gonna say on the internet justin, right now barack and then uh remember when they were like hanging out with the president of mexico yes and he's also fine as yes well? yes someone t- like there was a picture of them walking through like like a set of big doors and someone with that picture tweeted it with the caption um michelle can you <laughs> Kelly, can you handle this? Beyonce, can you handle this? I was like, wow, I'm really sad I didn't get to that joke first because that shit is funny as hell. And I was like, also true. Um, but yeah, there's like some kind of erotic fanfic. Oh, absolutely. I, I believe it. I believe it. And you know what? I would probably read it. Hell yeah, I'd read it. Yep. My cousin, not to, sorry, Rachel, not to out you on this podcast, but my cousin loves fan fiction and she very specifically loves fan fiction about One Direction. 
you know, that's fine with me. I will say I started off knowing that I love to help writers on this site called Fiction Press, mm -hmm. which is like the sister site to fanfiction.net. Mm. Fiction Press is like, Fiction Press is to Wattpad, what like live journal is to Tumblr. Do you know what any of those things <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Listen, I thought I was like, oh I've my been God. on the internet before. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Um, but yeah, so like my entire life was going online and like talking to these people and reading their work and reviewing them and being like, mm, your sentence structure needs work. <laughs> and, oh, of and, course you thought you wanted to be an agent. Oh, you should still be a lit agent. I know I there's know. no money in one it. One day, but... one day. But yeah, on fan fiction, what did I, I read a lot of, oh, what I, whatever I was into at the time, my friends would be writing Harry Potter fan fiction. And there's so many current authors who can trace their history yeah. back to that. Like like Sarah J. Mass, her big, uh, her big like YA, her big YA, uh, Really like Throne of Glass. Mm -hmm. I think I, I read that on Fiction Press when it was still like her draft, and Whoa. then she, and then she's all like, "Sorry guys, I have to take this down because I'm gonna actually make it a real book." And we're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> You're getting published for real." You know, I actually went back on one of those sites one time and be like, hey, guys, just wanted to check in. I like work in publishing now. And they're like, but you still can't spell. So I don't understand. They're so mean. Wow. Rude. They were jerks. Y'all never want to get published. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'll make sure you don't get out of the slush pile, jerk. You know, one of my favorite things about doing the lit agent intern and then subsequently my like other publishing interns was that everyone always let me read the slush pile like let me go through it they were like well we trust your taste you can just go through and like bring us stuff that is good and then sort of heave the stuff that is mediocre or whatever mm -hmm. um but i fucking love the slush pile i found some hilarious shit in there you find some stuff that you're like oh my god this was just sitting on your computer like you're a genius <laughs> <laughs> um i do miss that about i thought that's all publishing was going to be was oh. me reading 25 pages of a book and going yes nope. no oh, yes no i said no first because <laughs> yeah. i'm a jerk but no i mean it's kind of like that just not for well like at my old job some of it was like that mm -hmm. except <laughs> i was a book buyer yeah so it wasn't that i was rejecting slush i was rejecting books that, that were already, already <laughs> exist <laughs> i would be like that was a mistake why did you think that would sell <laughs> Anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I love the Babysitter's Club. Oh, me and, too. But I was also reading, like, more mature and, like, literature, kind of, like, more adult books yeah. or whatever. And, like, my dad was never – what are you reading? Let me look at that. Like, my dad was the one that was – when I was, like, eight, gave me The Hobbit. And I was like, you should be able to read this. Yeah. This is a kid's book. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And so it's crazy to me that there's just, like – if you're a parent and your kid's like, I want to read this book, you'd be like, mm, 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 go watch some TV. Here's, okay. <laughs> I would be okay with it if I believed that they actually cared that much about the content their child ingests. I'm not going to tell you how to parent your child mm -hmm. because as we discussed, we're we not don't parents. Kids. <laughs> we don't have kids. 
However, these are the same parents who are like buying their kids Grand Theft Auto yeah, or right? like they're watching whatever the hell on YouTube and doing whatever they want. But God forbid there is kissing in one of the books or I remember what was it? It was drama by Raina Telgemeier that the main character's friend who's a boy had a crush on another boy. And that was, oh my goodness, are we going to be able to to deal with that? Like, what? it's like, but, but, like, that's what you're concerned about? Not even, like, the commercials on your regular TV yeah. are more racy and ridiculous and problematic than a boy in middle school having a crush on another boy. Yeah, for the love of God. Yeah. And, of course, the ones were a little like, that doesn't count as real reading. It does count, okay. right? Leave them alone. Or that's a, like, I want them to read novels, not baby books. Well, look, now you're making them feel stupid or yeah. like they're not good enough with what they like to read. I, that's the one thing I don't understand. It's like the sort of discourse around like, oh, people don't read anymore. I'm like, shit. They spend Even all those not... hours on Twitter. They yeah, read no, something. reading tweets counts. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> And, like, reading multiple, like, long-form articles online yeah. counts as reading. Oh, and, like, yeah. it feels very, like, classist and, like, sort of, like, intellectually snobby to be like, oh, if you don't read books, then you are not a reader. It's like, why would you make people, again, like, you're just making people feel stupid. Yeah. And, like, that's not, that's not okay. I am not precious about books. Yeah. I don't feel like that medium is superior to another medium. Exactly. So books are not better than television, are not better than games, are not yeah. better than movies. So it's just a medium. I don't watch documentaries. Am I stupid? Because <laughs> like, like, oh my goodness, you spent all those hours on Netflix watching whatever, like <laughs> probably Wonder Woman animated <laughs> series or whatever. <laughs> so... Sounds good to me. <laughs> So, like, how did you, why did you watch that and not, I don't know, the cosmos? It's like, because I'm dumb, right? Yeah. Is, is that what you want me to say? Fine. I'm dumb and I didn't think that was, like, what I wanted to watch. You know who loves documentaries, nature documentaries? Who loves My it. fucking cat, who cannot speak English. She does not even understand what she's watching. You throw on a nature documentary, there's some birds chirping in the background. Oh I goodness. swear you've never seen a human more invested in the drama of the fucking nature documentary. We had one on last night just because it's so funny to watch her be like, just stare. Oh, jeez. Stare geez. at the TV. There was peacocks on it. She was like, what is happening with these peacocks? Your cat is definitely smarter than me then. <laughs> the thing is, is that she's not. She also eats toilet paper. So do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Kyrell and I talked about this on the last episode. She mm. was like, not everything you like has to be radical. Yeah. Like, just because you like it. And I think in the same way, like, not everything you like has to be, like. Good. Like, yeah, intellectual <laughs> yeah. or, like critically esteemed or like whatever I right. just I don't know I think I'm just too old for that shit and now it's okay to be entertained yeah. like entertainment still has value if I was talking to a gentleman at um, the IFOA party we were at a party together recently we were at no a big party deal because we're so fabulous we're fancy um, and I'm like if the only thing the book did was distract you from the screaming kids in your house for a couple of hours it's a good book 
Do you know how rough your life would be if every single piece of content you engage with, you had like a world shifting, <laughs> paradigm altering moment? That'd be stressful. Yo, like, you never read. I mean, you never. never do like I'm like I'm sorry. I need to have this mindset for at least another 24 hours. Yeah. I can't revolutionize my life again today. <laughs> Let me reiterate. I enjoy literature. I like books. Reading is fundamental. But it's okay to unclench sometimes <laughs> like just yeah. enjoy life too you know and if that means watch some movies play some games there are some games like video games that are beautifully done yeah. and the world building and the storytelling is excellent don't tell me that has less value than the 99 cent erotica that i added on to kobo <laughs> i had to half fast midnight because i couldn't sleep okay Holy shit, my sister is, like, in school for video game designer now. She already knows how to, like, program and shit. But, mm -hmm. like, her course has, like, people who have, like, English degrees because, like, you literally need someone there to, like, help you build. Like, it's mm -hmm. one thing to know how to program, to know how to, like, make art, to know how to, like, design. But it's, like, you literally need someone to write the story for you. You yep. need someone to be a dialogue writer. Mm -hmm. You need someone to build out care to do character development for <sighs> yes. each fucking character that you run into in those massive worlds. Yes. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Like it's it's one of my favorite things. I am quite a fan of Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. And the problem is I'm <laughs> terrible at actually playing it, but I really enjoy the story. So I have three different Assassin's Creed games <laughs> at my house that I'm like, I'm I can't can't make him jump. <laughs> but I want to know what happens next. <laughs> You should get okay. So I'm similar like that to video games. I watched my former roommate and one of my best friends. Uh, hi Matt. Um, I watched him play Bioshock because I was yeah. like, "Yo, what is gonna happen? Right? I need to know." Mm -hmm. And then I got really into like because like the first Bioshock, especially, is like underwater like Art Deco yeah. world, which is cool and gorgeous. And I was like. And he's really good at video games, and I'm shitty at them. So, cool. This is like an amazing four-hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think this is the appeal of people watching other people play video games yeah. on YouTube. Like, yes. it just kind of clicked. My brother does it. My, both my sisters do. Like, they, they'll, like, watch, and I'm like, are you just trying to cheat? Is this is because you don't know how to solve the puzzle, and you just want to find the answer? And they're like, no, no. It's okay. I already solved this problem. Like, so then what are you... Why are you watching them do it if you already did, did it? in a different way with a different character. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes my sisters both were like, oh, we watch dudes that are like, or people do it that are like funny. And my sister will watch them in like the background while she like does programming or whatever. Mm. I was, I'm like literally know the voices of some of them because they were just like around. I've never <laughs> once, I prefer like being able to like talk to the person that's playing video games. Yes. Yeah, I like to get my two cents in. Yes. It's like I'm like, jump faster. Do better. Can you You're go sucking. Go talk to that guy. Go talk to that yeah, guy. Yeah, it's over like there. that's a side quest. Yeah. Do it. Do it now. Yeah. Those good times. Yeah. You know, it's great. That's what I miss. I miss the boys sometimes. But then I remember that I have quiet in my place and food that I can eat without fearing that'll be gone tomorrow. Oh see I don't have brothers, but I feel like yeah, I don't know. It's okay. You don't. You're not missing much. <laughs> they're they're just like they eat a lot. It's a problem.
my brother has now not let he doesn't let my mom serve anymore my mom used to do like oh i'll serve you to control portion sizes uh-huh. right but so he's like no no it's okay i'll get it and then he'll clean out the pot and i'm like why did you do that because you're a jerk because you don't care about other people <laughs> because you're selfish <laughs> Like, you're not that hungry. Like, you can't be. It is not possible. You were sitting all day. Like, you were. You literally woke up two minutes ago. So what energy did you spend that you need that much food? None. You're you just burn green. off a lot of calories in your sleep. <laughs> no. No, you don't. Uh, just because I like to talk to bookish people about this. What was the last thing you read that you really fucking enjoyed the hell out of? That I really enjoyed. It doesn't uh, have to have been life-changing. Uh, not life-changing? Because <laughs> you know that's exactly where my mind's going. Like, which one rocked my world? Um, 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 um. Oh, I read I'm Judging You by Lovey Ajayi. She's this hilarious blogger so i started following yes, her i've read her work because uh she did scandal recaps yes. and they're hilarious like she's just so funny so i it, basically her book is much like her blog it's mm-hmm. just ridiculously over the top and funny and that was super fun um oh 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 i read the new Trevor Noah that's not out yet, but when it does come out, you need to read it because Ooh, my it's called Born a Crime. Trevor Noah? <laughs> Listen, so <laughs> I don't watch his show and I like I knew of him. I knew mm-hmm. who he was and I was all like, yay, good job for you being on The Daily Show. But I don't like mm-hmm. I don't watch. Right. So I had like no context and they're like, Trevor Noah's writing a book. I was like, comedian writing a comedy book, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he's a comedian, so yeah. he's gonna be funny, right? It's not a comedy book. Oh, it's, really? It's exactly, right? Like it's funny, but very in like, you know that shrug emoji? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the kind of funny it is. Oh. Like kind of like, I, I mean, I guess this is funny. You kind of deal. He is South African, Mm -hmm. and his mother is a black woman, and his father is a white man. And him being conceived was illegal. So he's literally born a crime. And it talks about, like, he's not that much older than I am, but it talks about him growing up in South Africa just before the end of the apartheid and then after the apartheid Mm -hmm. ended, and what the environment was like and what it was like to be him essentially growing up in all these different spaces like whether it was church and there was the black church and the white church and the colored church and going to school in um schools that were predominantly white or schools that were quite mixed um him engaging with his cousins like all all these different facets of identity and growing up and what i loved is A lot of our understanding of race and identity, especially when it comes to blackness, is informed by U.S. Mm -hmm. sociopolitics. This is not that, right? We forget that there is something outside of the North American context Mm -hmm. that we can't simply extrapolate our experiences onto. So Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't think, yeah, of course his experience is informed by the history and politics of South Africa Mm -hmm. and not America, like his understanding of his identity and his race and how he was able to navigate through the world is informed by all that. It was 
so beautifully done. Like cool. I was crying and also laughing because it's all it's like yeah. funny, but not in a joke kind of way. Yeah. Like this is my life, this is my experience, and here are the many ways in which it was fucked up. Yeah. And then but that was my life, right? Um he talks about his relationship with his mom and honestly, like I want to be his mom's best friend. I was like, can I have her number? Like, yeah. I feel like she has life <laughs> advice for me. She seems like a badass and I want to be her friend. It was just really, really well done. And it talks about all these cultural issues in a way that honestly, I, I wouldn't shelve it with like comedy stuff and I yeah. really hope they don't. Yeah. Like I would put it along with like my Jessamine Ward and my Casey Lehman, maybe even my Coates. It's not Coates. Mm -hmm. It's a very different tone, but it's addressing the same sort of thought processes of what is it like to grow up? What is it like to be a black man? Coates was talking about being a black man in America. He's talking about not even just being a black man. He's talking about being him, Trevor yeah. Noah in South Africa um, and it's fascinating and wonderful and excellent and everyone should read it. Yo man, thank we you so much for, forever, yeah, we could, I was so like, fun. I got more shit to talk to you about but we gotta edit this we'll down to drinks. an hour so <laughs> yeah, we should go for drinks soon, yeah. Jesus. Um, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Um, yo, to everyone listening, Leonika, she's the shit. So I am, follow I? her on Twitter. Her yeah. at is Lanika, so yeah. she's easy to find. Um, I'm so Googleable because thanks to my mom, my mom gave me a weird name. And yeah, I was kind of thinking, I was thinking about it when I was like looking at your Twitter today to just be like re-familiarize myself with the names of the things that you do. Yeah. I was like, damn, Lanika, you got the like, yeah. you got the first like name, my, one first name at, like yeah. that's crazy. And like my website is just Leonika.com. Isn't that amazing? I'm so proud of myself. Like, I mean, my mom. <laughs> like, she did that. Yo, shout out to uh, Leonika's mom. But I was a kid, uh, I wanted my name to be Veronica. Isn't that lame? That's my middle name. Oh, sorry. No, I just mean that's so funny. <laughs> I thought Lauren was a weird name. <laughs> and then one time I cried to my parents and asked them why they couldn't name me Ashley or Sarah like the other girls in my class. And they were just like, this is a very stupid thing for you to be upset about. <laughs> My thank you one more time to Leonika Valsius for coming through. Uh, what a wonderful woman. Follow her on Twitter. As we said, her at is Leonika because she got that. She got that at. Cavern of Secrets is, as always, brought to you by Hazlitt. It's hosted by, oh shit, guess who? Me, Lauren Mitchell. Our theme song was made by Bianca Giulione. Our show is produced by my dear friend, Unchman Itamsetti. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And we have a website. For the love of God, go to our website. It's cavernofsecrets.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at Cavern of Secrets. And if you like what we're doing, you should totally give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, every star counts. And we, me and Unchman, like, read the reviews to each other. It's like slam poetry, but with reviews that people write. Once again, my name is Lauren Mitchell. I really appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time.